Today on Ag News Daily. About two years ago, uh, my parents, my mom mainly, uh, had the idea to sell sides of beef, you know, not just to uh, our friends and family like we traditionally have been, but advertising it and, and selling sides of beef to the public. Listeners, welcome to the June 9th edition of the Ag News Daily podcast. A reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Vesteron, your game changer in revolutionary insecticides. Visit vestaron.com today. Well, Tanner here hanging out with you on a Friday. Going to jump right into it. Get through a couple of headlines here today and uh, get a great conversation queued up for you here to round out your week. Still battling some air quality alerts that have been issued for several spots around the U.S. Uh, due to the Canadian wildfires. Much of Michigan, the entirety of Indiana, parts of Ohio are all under the air quality alerts. Parts of Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, and Missouri are also seeing poor air quality. In northern Indiana and southern Michigan, the level of fine particles in the air will be unhealthy for people with certain health conditions to be outdoors. It's recommended that people stay indoors uh, or wear masks when outside. In western Iowa, thunderstorms are possible this evening. Some local heavy rain in the forecast, but otherwise a fairly dry weekend. Dry might be the biggest uh, consensus right now. The drought monitor is showing an expanded and abnormally dry condition for larger portions of the U.S. Large-scale additions and expansions of the dryness and moderate drought category occurred, especially along the east side of the Mississippi River in central Minnesota, where the combination of precipitation deficits and low stream flow are declining. The soil moisture is also declining in those areas as well. Flash drought is developing in much of the Corn Belt. If that continues, there will be issues here for the corn. DTN's uh, ag meteorologist said Thursday that the pattern will be changing, bringing more chances for rain precipitation in the future through the region. But for right now, it looks like drought could shrink the possibilities of trend line yields in some of those areas. It's also noted, though, that we've had some improvements of drought conditions throughout Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. We had that conversation yesterday uh, with Dan about uh, what they've seen for rain there. The weather patterns can be Unexpected, but certainly we will keep an eye on those. 34% of the U.S. corn crop is now in a drought condition category of one. And that was just last week's reporting because this week it jumped to 45%. The second crop conditions report rating of the season confirmed the dryness is expanding. The latest drought monitor shows that 54% of the continental U.S. is experiencing DO to D4, which is exceptionally dry due to conditions and averages of the past. So we'll continue to watch, but right now we saw uh, Illinois drop 19% in the rating. Indiana dropped 14, or I'm sorry, dropped 10% in their rating. Ohio was down six. Missouri itself also was down 9% as far as corn conditions go. So we'll continue to watch that as well. But here in Iowa, the land ownership survey shows that a significant amount of farmland in Iowa is owned debt-free and by baby boomers. 
A full 84% of Iowa farm ground is owned debt-free and is increasingly owned by the baby boomer generation, many of whom are non-farmers who like fixed cash rent contracts. Those are a few takeaways of the survey. Uh, Dr. Zhang left most of his work at Iowa State University in July for a position in Cornell, but still worked to complete this survey and released it on Thursday. Said it's one of a kind survey that has not been put out in other states. Iowa lawmakers passed a law in 1989 for ISU to be able to conduct a survey every five years. The survey is of 705 different parcels, each of 40 acres and above, or each at 40 acres, and have been tracked now since 1988. 58% of that Iowa farmland is leased out. On that leased ground, 72% of the landowners receive a fixed cash rent. About 13% of those rental acres have a contract with a payment tied to yield, and only 7% is in a crop share agreement. As stated, 84% of this farmland is owned debt-free compared to 62% in 1982. Just 14% is under mortgage. A smaller mix is under contract sale from landowner to the new buyer. For 35 and younger, only 17% of the land is owned debt-free. So ownership has dropped over that same time period from 80% to just over 50. Of course, that makes sense when you talk about uh, generational inheritance. Uh, the key here is the local farmer trying to buy land. Despite the growth of investors, existing farmers remain the largest buyer of land at just under 70% in that category. So some good uh, information there coming out of Iowa State's survey. You can see much more of their data by going to uh, ISU Ag Decision Maker for their articles. Ireland has proposed the culling of 200,000 cows just to help meet their climate goals and farmers are pushing back. Countries across Europe are working to fulfill their commitment to shift a climate neutral economy under the European Green Deal. The climate neutrality objective becomes legal for the 27 green countries that are going to look to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. However, some of the countries are finding it harder to achieve than they originally thought. Ireland is one of those looking to attack methane emissions by reducing their cow herds by over 200,000 head in the next three years. The Irish government estimates the plan would cost the nation around $640 million and assist the agriculture industry, though, by reducing greenhouse gas emissions in nearly a 25% chunk over the next seven years. The Department of Ag would initiate, initiate the culling of 65,000 cows a year for three years, effectively reducing the national dairy herd by 10%. The proposal is, of course, being met with a lot of opposition from farmers. The herd hasn't changed, said one of the farmers, in the last 25 to 30 years. Why would we be the target of reduction and not other sectors? We'll continue to watch this announcement also caught the attention of Elon Musk as he tweeted out, they really need to stop. Killing cows does not matter for climate change. Continuing to uh, keep eyes on this story, that will be an interesting one for us to keep up. But when we come back stateside, U.S. pork producers are faced with record high input costs 
but depleted cash hog prices. There is one bright spot, however, for the future of the pork industry. The U.S. Meat Export Federation reported another strong month of exports for April. The USMEF says April pork and pork variety meats export increased 15% year over year for month-to-month comparison for April. And when you look at the totals for January through April, exports are up 14.5% so far this year. While April's pork exports were slightly lower than March, they say the change was expected, especially considering March was the ninth highest month ever for U.S. pork exports. Mexico remains a star performer for U.S. pork. Uh, It's really encouraging to see growth in many markets, such as Latin America. Demand has remained strong, and the momentum for U.S. pork into the Asian Pacific region has also been increasing. The pork exports to Mexico soared to another record pace in 2023, as April was again a strong month, with the volume increasing 9% year over year. Valued at nearly $150 million, which is up 7%. The export growth for pork is broad, which is good because the pork industry doesn't have to rely on China or any other pork powerhouses to fuel the growth of the hunger worldwide. So good news there, at least a little bit for pork producers. Bad news, though, for ADM in Des Moines, longtime soybean producer uh, or soybean meal producer and vegetable oil production company in Des Moines repeatedly emitted too much air pollution off after it went through its inspection. The Iowa Department of Natural Resources has fined Archer Daniels Midland Company to pay $20,000 to the state and to install new equipment to correct their problems by the end of the year. The ADM facility, which has operated for decades on the northeast side of Des Moines, gets its soybeans by truck and rail. It dries the grain, removes the hole, obviously, to produce their byproducts. The facility looks to remove solvent from the oil and leftover soybean meal gets reused. But on average, 180,000 bushels of soybeans are processed each day. And since 2015, they have not met their pollutant requirements due to inadequate equipment. Hexane and neurotoxin can cause dizziness and nausea and headaches for those that inhale it, enough of it at least, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And those are the types of exposures that will cause these fines to come about. The uh, ADM has concurred to, or has agreed to pay that fine and will begin fixing and looking at the operation of their facilities for improvements. Last headline I've got for today is to head back over to Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine's deputy defense minister says the epicenter of fighting remains in the east side of their region. There is active combat and tense standoffs along the entire front line. Kremlin-backed officials say that uh, the nuclear power point region within The area there is seen fierce fighting, says that uh, there will be several questions and observations as far as if the continued shelling will cause any damage to the power plant itself. There are continued battles going on in the Kyrgyzstan region where the flooding is happening after the major dam collapse. There is now uh, a confirmed five deaths as far as the flooding has taken over. A joint news conference between Joe Biden and the UK's prime minister 
are reaffirming the Allies' commitment to supporting Ukraine. And overnight, two people were killed after a Russian attack on a hospital. And uh, we will continue to see here as it looks like Ukrainian defenses are trying to push back as a part of maybe just the beginning of their counteroffensive. So that's what I've got for news today on the market fronts. Let's see where grains opened today. Corn looks like they will be opening down five cents overnight. July contract at 6.05. December's contract down three and a half, opening at 5.29 and a quarter. Soybeans front month contract July up three cents in the overnight, opening at 13.66 and a half. November soybeans up a penny, opening 11.90 even. Wheat looks to be up in the overnight, going green. July contract up two and a half, opening at 6.29 even. December wheat contract up three cents, opening at 6.59 and a quarter. Livestock, live cattle is down just slightly overnight. The August contract will open 172 and a quarter. Feeder cattle is uh, nearly even in the overnight. September's contract 241.47. Lean hogs did see mixed trading. You look at the July contract opens up a quarter to 87.20. So thanks again. We're hanging out with us today. I want to remind you that for a strong defense against LEPs, you need a game changer. Spear RC is Vestron's revolutionary insecticide for high value row crops. Visit VESTARON.com today. But let's get into our Friday conversation. Tanner, I'm super excited for today's interview because we chatted a little bit about this on the podcast last week, talking about a vending machine system. To get your beef, we are chatting today with Tim Hare, the herd manager for Green Grass Cattle Co., and also a self-proclaimed chief of beef for the company. Tim, super excited to learn more about the company's story today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. So, Tim, I am just blown away by this idea that you guys have harnessed the ability to sell beef through a vending machine. Before we get into that though, let's talk a little bit more about Green Grass Cattle Co's background with our listeners. Yeah, so I mean our family, we've uh I'm the fifth generation of my family to uh to take on farming as as a profession. Um Green Grass Cattle Company started 2 years ago. We uh my dad was was nearing retirement with with his company. Um, farming was always something that that we did on the side. We've got row crop in Northwest Missouri, and we've uh, just in the last ten years um, started running cattle again after um, the flood of '93 kind of displaced us um, from our home place in in Craig, Missouri. Um, we we sold all the cattle at that time, um, and then in the last ten years started getting back into cattle. Um, and about two years ago, uh, my parents, my mom mainly, uh, had the idea to sell sides of beef, you know, not just to uh, our friends and family, like we traditionally have been, but advertising it and, and selling sides of beef to the public. And from there, um, opportunities just kind of came up and, you know, we realized that, hey, we've got something here. I think the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, 
really kind of helped our growth um, as we started our companies. People were looking for ways to get food in bulk. And, uh, and so we had a lot of customers that we traditionally didn't have purchasing sides of beef. Um, at that time, my dad and my mom um, approached my sister and I, and they knew that we were passionate about ag, but we had corporate careers that, that, we, were, uh, that we were in. And they approached us and said, you know, hey, we've got something here. Do you guys want to make a run at this full time? And personally, my goal was to hopefully be able to retire from a corporate career and then farm in my retirement. And so it was a pretty easy decision for me, um, you know, growing up farming and, and being around cattle um, is always something that I loved. And, and so I just thought, well, why would I wait till retirement to do what I love when I can, I can do it now when I'm able-bodied and I can actually enjoy it? So as you guys have attacked this endeavor, it looks like you've gone all in as great family stories go. How have you come about marketing this beef to consumers? Yeah, so that's that's actually a really great question. And we try to be uh, we try to be very intentional about every decision that we make, um, and not making decisions based on assumptions, but based on objective data that we've gathered. And we we started selling you know the sides of beef and then we realized okay we've got we have a lot of customers here that are wanting beef in bulk certainly there's there's customers out there that we're missing that maybe don't have uh, a deep freeze that they can you know put a quarter or half or a whole cow in and so we started researching uh, USDA inspected processing facilities and we got some dates lined up with them and we focused mainly on the, the customers right here in our backyard we're located in Weston, Missouri, um, which is about 20 minutes from, from Kansas City. And so we just thought, okay, you know, we can get uh, a good foothold here in Kansas City. There's more people than we can feed in Kansas City alone. So we started advertising locally um, just through social media advertising and getting the word out there. And then as that kept growing, we decided, okay, you know, let's, let's take this a step further. We started advertising on a local radio station here in Kansas City, and it's proven to be a, a very successful venture for us. Um, we've been able to develop a lot of different partnerships here in Kansas City with um, some some local companies that support and sell uh, locally manufactured goods, such as Maiden Maiden KC. Um, they've got about 15 stores here in Kansas City, and that's actually who I've partnered with to uh, to place the vending machines. And uh, outside of that, Jay Rieger Distilling Company, um, we work with them. We get about 20,000 pounds of spent grains from them uh, each week that we feed out to the cattle. And in partnering with those companies, it's just added more credibility to, to our operation. Tim, I'm super excited to learn more about the vending machine system because I'm trying to envision what a vending machine filled with beef would even look like because the products are just a little <laughs> bit bigger than what you see with candy bars or chips or whatever. How does it yeah. work? Yeah, so the the vending machine, it was it was kind of a wild idea. Um, and thankfully, I've got I've got parents and I've got family that are extremely supportive of some of my crazy ideas. Um, I researched vending machines for about six months, um, talked to different manufacturers because I knew, you know, just kind of what you're talking about. Traditionally, vending machines, we see them and they have the coil dispensing system that are great for, you know, potato chips and, and candy bars and small snacks like that. I knew that wouldn't work for, for steak and for uh, smaller roasts and ground beef and things. And so um, after researching them for, like I said, about six months, I finally found the machine that 
um, that I thought would work where I could uh, adjust the compartment sizes. So I can, I can put up to right now, the machines I have, I can put up to 90 products in there. Um, right now I, I stock it with about 40. Um, and that allows me to put, I can, in the compartments, I can put a half, uh, a half or a quarter brisket in there if I needed to. Um, so it, it really allowed opportunity for me to um, change the different products out without being kind of pigeonholed into just one size and try to fit things in there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I researched the machines and found one that I liked and I knew at that point, okay, I've got a machine that I like. I just, I need to find a place to put it with a lot of foot traffic. And so, like I said, we partnered with um, Keith Bradley at Maiden KC. He's one of the co-owners there. Pitched the idea to him, and and he was at, he was pretty floored by it. He loved the the novel idea of it, and he thought it would be good for his business as well. And so um, I've kind of given them you know first options. Okay, hey, I've got a machine. You tell me what store you want it in, and that's kind of the the gentleman's agreement that we have with them. Well, that's exciting to find partners like that. So. As you put your inventory in these machines, how long can a cut of meat be in there before you've got to swap it out or it's considered spoiled? Yeah, so the USDA um, actually has um, some loose guidelines around that. Um, if I, when I put the products in there, they, they're put, placed in there frozen. The machine holds a temperature of 34 degrees. And at that temperature, it's going to thaw out after 24 hours. At that point, once I put the, the meat in there, I have five days before I have to rotate that stock out. I typically operate where I try to rotate it after three days um, if products haven't sold. Um, that way, it gives me a little bit of buffer as you know, I, I take care of cattle um, as, as my main focus. That gives me a couple days buffer there. If something goes haywire here at the farm. Um, I've got a little bit of leeway there where I don't have to try to scramble around and make sure that it's done, um, you know, in a timely manner. So how does the process of actually purchasing the meat go? Is it updated? Like, do you just swipe a credit card like you would with a normal vending machine? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the vending machines I have, I, I didn't want to handle cash. So they're all cashless. Um, the, the card reader that I have on there is, um, is another item that I worked with the distributor of the machine um, to find one that one would provide a, a cashless transaction or they can use Android or Apple Pay straight from their phones. Um, and then it also provides a lot of telematics in, re in real time. So it reads uh, the temperature of the machine. I can check on my phone at any time, the inventory levels, the temperature of the machine, I can put safeguards in place. So if something crazy happens at the machine and uh, the temperature gets above 37 degrees, the machine will actually lock itself down. It'll send me a notification. Nobody can can make any purchases. That way I can get down there in time and, and make any adjustments. I haven't had to yet, thankfully, but um, having those safeguards in place was really important because the last thing I wanted was any disruption of service from the machine. So when you look at these real-time analytics, what's your best-selling product? <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's actually, it's pretty seasonal. Um, you know, as we, as we got closer to Memorial Day, I saw a lot of hot dogs, uh, bratwurst and ground beef being sold. Um, before that, traditionally it was uh, Casey strips and ribeyes that were, that were selling. And probably one of the more insightful things that, that I found, like I said, I can, I can get time um, telematics off the machine. And so I know by the, by the minute when people are purchasing items and there's people that are purchasing ribeyes at, you know, 10:30 at night, 
which was really, really eye opening to me. And that was, you know, kind of all the validation that I needed that, hey, this, this is a, this is an idea that actually has legs and it's going to materialize into something. So Tim, as you guys look at the future planning, are you going to have more vending machines offered in the KC area or what other plans do you have to get your beef out there? Yeah, you know, since, uh, since we launched the machine, um, the, the support has been really overwhelming. The response has been crazy. I've had farmers from all over the country contact me trying to figure out how they can emulate this and, and do this in their areas. Um, the idea or the plan is, yes, we're going to have more machines. I've actually got a second machine going into a location um, here in the next couple of days. And uh, after that, I mean, it's it's uh, it's going to be almost a full time job for somebody to monitor those machines and, and run routes to make sure that they're stocked, um, stocked appropriately. Um, so right now it's just me doing it. So after the second machine's in place, I'm going to try to see you know how I can manage it. And then from there, you know, plan growth appropriately. But it's uh, it's quite an ordeal as it as it is right now, because the meat at this point um, it, it doesn't, I don't ever get to that five day period where I've got to rotate the stock. It, it sells out pretty quick. And like I said, it's, it's just kind of a testament to, um, to people, you know, wanting to know where the beef is coming from, who's raising it, how it was raised. Does it fit into their family's lifestyle? And, and having that knowledge, I think is, is extremely important to the consumers nowadays. So if we've got a listener that just thinks this is the best idea since sliced bread, and they want to start one themselves, what advice would you give to them? Uh, be patient and, and research, <laughs> research a lot. I think a lot of the success that we've had um, has come with the partnerships that we've made at Made in KC, those stores. Um, they have a lot of foot traffic. They're, the stores are located um, in areas that, that, that have a lot of foot traffic and that are going to get exposure. Um, so I think that that is probably the most important aspect of of this whole venture is making sure that you're you're putting it in a place where you don't necessarily have to um, try to drive people to go there. They can kind of find it on their own organically, and uh, that would be that would absolutely be my my advice. Just be patient, research it, be very very uh, deliberate about all the details of of the plan, and and if you have a plan, you know stick to the plan. Don't deviate yet, just because you know if you launch the machine and it doesn't sell right away. Um, you know, stick to the plan, make sure that, that, uh, you're validating all those assumptions that you've made, gather data. Um, I think that's another crucial aspect of it is, is aggregating as much data as you can, and then making your decisions based off of that data that you've gathered. So Tim, before we let you go, this has been a super interesting conversation, but for any of our listeners who want to check out what you guys are doing a little bit more in depth, where's the best place to go to find more information? Well, the best place to go to find information about our operation is going to be our website. That's www.greengrasscattleco.com. And we're on all the major uh, social media platforms as well, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and we put information out there on you know, how we take care of the animals, um, how we you know, feed them and, and the lifestyle that we provide them. But then also gives a little bit of insight into some of the different things that we're doing, both in our retail store and with the vending machine. Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks again for your time today. This is a really cool story. And if I'm in KC, I'm definitely going to be checking out that vending machine. 
Absolutely. Delaney Tanner, it's been a pleasure. If you're ever in Kansas City, please look us up. I'd love to give you a tour and show you the machine in person. That'd be great. Well, thanks again. It's always a pleasure to bring you the headlines and and another great week of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening in. Don't forget to let us know who you want us to talk to and convince to bring an interview on. But uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll be back again with a market update Monday. So for today, let's let you go. 